This is the Finding the Founders podcast, episode 11. Hello, Patriots. Welcome to the Finding the Founders podcast. I am your host, Nathan Burr, and I am grateful, as always, that you have tuned in. We are in the midst of a series looking at the self-evident truths asserted by the Founding Fathers in the Declaration of Independence. The first is that all men are created equal. The second is that all men are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we've spent four episodes going over life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But what a lot of people may not be as familiar with is that there are two more self-evident truths asserted. The third is that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Today, we're going to look at that third self-evident truth. What is the role of government? And where does government get its authority? And then we're going to look, as we've been doing, at Scripture to see if what the Founding Fathers said was true is actually true. If men were angels, no government would be necessary. It's a quote from James Madison. And it gets to the core of this idea of why government is instituted. I want to read that to you again from the Declaration of Independence. Just listed the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and then it says in the very next line that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. Please note very carefully that it does not say that to redistribute wealth Governments are instituted among men. To oversee your child's education, governments are instituted among men. To promote and preserve the public health, governments are instituted among men. It says to secure the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is echoed by the preamble to the Constitution. We the people of the United States... In order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. And I suspect the average citizen would be surprised to read through the Constitution and see all the things that are not there. I'm going to talk about this in greater detail in future episodes. But the Constitution was written to constrain government, to lay out the very narrow, specific powers and authority that government has. And it doesn't talk about 90% of the stuff our government does today. But again, I'm, I'm going to get to that in future episodes. James Madison also said, the end of government is to protect property of every sort 
as well as that which lies in the various rights of individuals. And Alexander Hamilton asked the question, why has government been instituted at all? Because the passions of men will not conform to the dictates of reason and justice without constraint. You see, the Founding Fathers realized something that is almost taboo to say today, and that is that people are sinful, and people sin. They do bad things. They hurt each other. They trespass upon each other's rights. And thus there is a need for government to secure those rights. And according to the Founding Fathers, that is pretty much the end of the extent and the role and the purpose of government. Well, the next question we ask then is, how does government come to be? And we're going to talk about that on a, on a spiritual level in a few minutes. But we'll go back to something that John Locke wrote, again, in Two Treatises of Government. It's, it's kind of long, it's cumbersome to read, but I would really encourage you to find the time uh, to read that, that work of his, because it, it lays some great foundations for, uh, again, that the Founding Fathers were inspired by and that they used in drafting the Declaration of Independence and in the Constitution, and just that, that, that helped frame their understanding as they were framing our, our country and our Constitution and our system of government. John Locke wrote, Men being, as has been said, by nature, all free, equal, and independent, no one can be put out of his estate and subjected to the political power of another without his own consent. Meaning again, if I have a right to my life, a right to my liberty, a right to the pursuit of happiness, I have these God-given rights, you can't come along and decide, guess what, I'm going to be in charge of you, and you're going to have to listen to me. That, that would be violating my rights. The only way that you can have that authority is if I grant it to you. If, if there's a bunch of us living in the state of nature and we say we've, we've got to have some form of law and order, we're going to form a government, we're going to determine that certain people are in charge, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. This is echoed again by, by multiple founding fathers. John Adams, when citing the happiness of the people as the sole end of government, said, the consent of the people is the only foundation of it in reason, morality, and the natural fitness of things. Madison again, we may define a republic to be a government which derives all its powers directly or indirectly from the great body of the people and is administered by persons holding their offices during pleasure for a limited period or during good behavior. I'm going to touch on this again in another episode. We hear so many people talk about we live in a democracy. We do not live in a democracy. A democracy is, is basically, you could summarize it as mob rule. We live in a republic. And I'll, I'll get into that again in the future. But you see it here that in a republic, the people have the say, but they have the say through what we might call elected officials. Thomas Jefferson, I know no safe depository of the ultimate powers of society, but the people themselves. And if we think them not enlightened enough to exercise their control with a wholesome discretion, the remedy is not to take it from them, but to inform their discretion by education. For very good reason, 
that we've talked about in some, in some past episodes, the founding fathers were incredibly wary of government because they knew what government did, that government encroached, that government took away, that government seized. It's, it's the nature of human beings. When power corrupts and absolute power corrupts, absolutely, right? We've all heard that. And it's true. And so the founding fathers recognized a government needs to have a very limited role. It is to secure our rights. That's why government exists. And that government derives its power, that government is authorized by the people. Now, we need to be careful that we don't, we don't come to this idea that, that government can, can only act if I give it the okay. You know, Nate, you were pulled over for speeding. Yeah, well, I don't agree with that. Well, then I guess I can't, I can't give you a ticket. Uh, Nate, you broke this law. Well, I don't see it that way. I don't give you the consent to, to arrest me. That's not how it works. There is an understanding and a recognition that the people place themselves under the government, but also that the government and the government officials ultimately are answerable to the people. Interdependency, a system of checks and balances. So that's the founding father's position. Again, what, what does the Bible have to say? Romans 13 is the, is the passage that we typically turn to when we want to understand what is the role of government. Because we have to understand the, the Bible is not the Constitution. It does not exist to, to lay out all the, uh, the what's, why's, wherefores, and how-so's of, of civil government. That's, that's not its purpose. But it does touch upon it. Romans 13, 1-5. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Peter also wrote about government. In 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14, we read, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. And Paul wrote uh, in several places about, about the law, and he wasn't speaking so much about the civil law there as, as God's moral law, but that it was written, that it was given because of people who, who sinned, who broke the law. Again, if Adam and Eve had never done anything wrong, remember the Garden of Eden? There was one rule, don't eat the fruit of that tree. But because of sin, and because people did, did all manner of wrong things, law was necessary. And so we see that Scripture backs up this, this first idea. The, the purpose of civil government is to commend those who do right, to punish those who do wrong. It is to maintain law and order. In the Truth Project, which is a 12-part worldview study presented by Focus on the Family, Dr. Del Tackett, who, who leads leads a kind of mock classroom through this, through this study, 
talks about these verses and says that if government exists to commend those who do right and to punish those who do wrong, there's a very key implication, and that is that government had better know the difference between right and wrong. And as we look at our government in 2022, we see that in many cases it has inverted that. It commends that which is biblically wrong and punishes that which is biblically right or condemns that which is biblically right. And Isaiah writes woe to those who call good evil and evil good. And in many cases, that's where we are today. I think it's also important to point out that the, that the Greek word there used for authorities, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, uh, I'll try, exousia, exousius, it refers more to the designated power or juris, jurisdiction than to an individual leader. And I think a lot of Christians read these passages and, and I hear them talk and say things that would suggest that God is the one who's basically electing this, that, or the other president, this, that, or the other leader, that anyone who comes into an elected office was placed there by God. And I, and I understand that God is sovereign and therefore nothing happens without uh, at least his you know, tacit agreement. But if God is the one who is, you know, if we say, well, God placed Joe Biden in office, well, then he also placed Donald Trump. He also placed Barack Obama, George Bush, Bill Clinton, George Bush, Ronald Reagan. Jimmy. You know, every four to eight years, God changes his mind on what kind of leadership the country should have. I don't think God is the one who is, who is placing every last, quote-unquote, government official in office. But God is the one who instituted the idea of government. Again, to maintain law and order. Now, the, the Declaration states that those in office derive their just powers from the consent of the governed. They don't say they derive their just powers from God. Is this, is this contrary to, to Scripture? Well, I will, I will refer to an idea that uh, I first came across in a book called Slaying Leviathan, Limited Government and Resistance in the Christian Tradition. Uh, it, was inter it was given to me by my brother-in-law, uh, written by a man named Glenn Sunshine, and I would, I would highly recommend you read it again, Slaying Leviathan. And in this book, he talks about an idea uh, first promoted by Ulrich Zwingli and then by John Calvin, that if you look at Scripture, when God instituted the covenant with Israel, he didn't just force it upon them, but he, for lack of better word, allowed them to ratify it. Three times they said, yes, we will do this. And it was only after they agreed to this covenant that God instituted it. Another example we see in Scripture is that of, of the Israelites demanding of Samuel, we want a king. And God ultimately gave them what they wanted. He, he let them have that say in their government, if you will, after warning them and telling them all the bad things that would happen. See, God knows what happens when you, when you put a man in charge. Bad things happen. Government corrupts. But he, he let them have their say. Now, this is not me saying, see, the government, or the scripture clearly says that government is supposed to be of the people, by the people, for the people. It doesn't expressly say that because scripture doesn't exist to tell us what sort of civil government we ought to have. But we do see some of these ideas in scripture in how God instituted things that people ought to have a say. And in fact, if we're going to 
going to assert that God has given us rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which we've just looked at, we can't very well say then that we don't have any sort of say in, in being governed. Back to this idea of John Locke. If, if someone can come along and just determine that, hey, I'm going to govern you, well, then we don't really have a right to life, liberty, or pursuit of happiness. We're at the whim and mercy of that person. Both the Founding Fathers in the Declaration of Independence and Scripture support the idea that the purpose of government is to maintain law and order. Nothing else. You, you read through Scripture, you don't see that it's to redistribute wealth and, and uh, promote a welfare state or oversee the education of, uh, of your children. It's not to, to micromanage your health. None of those things are in Scripture either, and none of those things are in the Declaration or the Constitution. It's about law and order. And that the people, in a, in a fair and appropriate government, ought to have a say, ought to be represented. We know what government is supposed to do. And that raises the question of what happens when government doesn't do what it is supposed to do. We'll look at that in the next episode. But I want to conclude here with a quote from James Otis Jr. that I think kind of summarizes what we've been talking about. He says, If life liberty, and property could be enjoyed in as great perfection and solitude as in society, there would be no need for government. But the, but the experience of ages has proved that such is the nature of man, a weak, imperfect being, that the valuable ends of life cannot be obtained without the union and assistance of many. <laughs>